Well, Bryce, thank you very much for giving us this opportunity to discuss your life in mathematics. So were you always interested uh, in mathematics as a child? I guess so. I mean, there was a, there was a strong tradition of mathematics in the family. My, uh, I was born, I say, in Aberdeen, um, and uh, I went to Aberdeen Grammar School, and, and uh, this was, in a sense, the family school, because my father had been there, and my grandfather, who was the first person to show any uh, as far as we know, any, any, any real mathematical ability. He was the head of uh, maths and science in this school. And that shows you how unimportant science was in those days, because uh, science didn't even merit its own department. It was just part of uh, maths and science. Anyway, he, he, had been, um, he was just a farm boy. He'd been born in a little village in Capeth in Perthshire. Um, and... Uh, uh, but it shows the, 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 the merits of the Scottish uh, education system in those days. This is the 1860s. Because the dominie in the local school in Capeth, the dominie recognised that this man had a certain facility for numbers. And he told my great-grandfather that this boy ought to go to university in Aberdeen. And so he went to university in Aberdeen, and he uh, got first-class honours in mathematics and went on to be an assistant to the professor there, and then in due course, uh, head of maths and science at the Aberdeen Grammar School. Uh, and uh, th th there was always this tradition of mathematics. My father was an engineer. Another son did mathematics at Cambridge, although he, he, he went into industry. And uh, a third son was a, a civil engineer. Uh, and I, I guess I just, without it, I didn't think about it at all, but I suppose there was a, an assumption that I might be some good at mathematics. But nobody ever made anything very much of it. And, uh, and my only experience of my grandfather as a mathematician was a rather humiliating one for me. Um, at the beginning of the, the, the war, I was just transferring from primary school to secondary school. Uh, I knew no mathematics other than arithmetic, that's all I knew. And uh, the, 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 the schools in Aberdeen, um, in order that the government wanted to train soldiers, in the, in the playgrounds of the schools. So they shut half the schools and they transferred and made the other schools double up. And as a consequence, uh, my, my school, grammar school, had to go half time with another school. And my parents were, uh, they were upset about this. They thought this would disrupt my schooling. There wasn't much they could do about it, except as far as mathematics was concerned, they could send me to my grandfather. So they sent me to my grandfather my grandfather was in his 80s, and, uh, well, I think he no longer understood that a boy of, there were limits to what a boy of 10 could do. Uh, and uh, I, although I had done nothing but arithmetic, he said, we'll start off with algebra. So the first lesson was algebra. And the first quarter of an hour we did linear equations. I mean, I wasn't at all sure what was going on, but x's and y's and z's and things. And then he switched to quadratic equations. Uh, this is after a quarter of an hour or so, and uh, all I could, he, he solved a quadratic equation and then he wrote down the formula, the general formula for the solution of quadratic equations, and I had no idea what was going on. But I was, I was very, uh, almost afraid of my grandfather. No, afraid's the wrong word. I, I, I had deep respect for my grandfather, and I didn't dare tell him that I couldn't understand what he was talking about. And so I remember going home after this first lesson and I sat down and I read this formula again and again and again and again. And the next day when I went back, I was enormously proud of myself because every 
quadratic equation he produced, I could solve for him uh, uh, without, of course, understanding quite why. And and uh, uh, but it 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 taught me it taught me um, that uh, it taught me that you had to think hard and and work hard to get anywhere in mathematics. Uh, anyway, um, after that, I, I I went on to the uh, uh, through the grammar school and. I was accelerated through the school. That was a, quite a common um, practice in, 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 in Scottish schools in those days. And so I was ready to go to university when I was only 16. And this was Aberdeen University. Uh, and I, um, uh, I uh, took a, a first-class honours degree in, in mathematics and natural philosophy. Uh, I was almost channeled into classics because the tradition in Scottish grammar schools was so strong on the classics that I was almost made to do Latin and Greek, but I escaped and did, uh, did, did mathematics. And um, at the end of those four years, uh, I got a, a, a scholarship from Aberdeen to go to Oxford for two years. And um, at this time, I, I, it never entered my head that I was going to do research in mathematics. All the tradition in my family was school teaching, uh, and I was going to be a school teacher. So if I was going to Oxford for two years, I better just take another undergraduate degree. There seemed no point in doing a research degree. Uh, and in any case, in those days, it was still felt that uh, Oxford and Cambridge was so much ahead of any other university in the UK that you could take an undergraduate degree in, a, in, a, in, a, in Aberdeen, say, and still benefit from another two years of undergraduate work in Oxford. And, and I, 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 I went down to, to, to Oxford to do this second undergraduate degree, and, and, and I, I didn't regret it because there were lots of things I learned. And there I met, I met for the, uh, uh, my tutor at, at Christchurch was Theodore Chondy. And there for the first time I met what I would describe as a real mathematical mind. I was, I, uh, I mean, the, my lectures at, lecturers at, Oxford, at, at Aberdeen had been perfectly competent. But here was a man with a mind which just, the speed of it, just just left me standing. Uh, and what was uh, his field? Was he well, his field was differential equations. Oh, um, I, I, he, um, he, he, in many ways, he's most famous. I mean, he's kind of forgotten now, which is a, a pity. He was a he was a distinguished mathematician, a reader at Oxford. Um, but he, the thing he was very, very <laughs> famous for was the delta operator. Now, the delta operator is. If, if, if x is your independent variable, it's x db dx instead of db dx. And this means that uh, instead db dx is particularly related to e to the x, x db dx is particularly related to a power of x. And so if you want to solve uh, a, a differential equation in powers of x, the thing to do is to turn it into terms of the delta operator. And then, in many cases, you can literally read off the solution. Now this is something that uh, this is I've never understood why why even nowadays you read books, uh, reasonably elementary books on differential equations, and they still don't teach this. But this is one of this is one of Chondi's strong points, and he and he he had tremendous facility not only in that of course, but in in in, in manipulating mathematics, and I would go for tutorials with him, and I I would sit there for an hour while he he, he had a very a rather illegible squiggle. And he would squiggle things on his on his on his manuscripts, 
and I would have this pile of manuscript at the end of the hour, and I would go back to my room, and I would spend hours trying to decipher what it was that he, he'd been trying to tell me. Uh, and, uh, um, but I usually did in the end, and, and I, 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 you know, I just, my concept of what you had to have to be the speed of mind that you had have to, 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 to become a real mathematician uh, was something that I learned from John Dean. Well, anyway, I, I, I not only learned that, the other big difference between Oxford and Aberdeen was that the degree in Aberdeen, mathematics and natural philosophy, the mathematics was pure mathematics. I mean, quite strictly pure mathematics. Um, if, if, if applied mathematics was done at all, it was done as part of natural philosophy or physics. And it was elementary physics. I mean, the, the cartilage played essentially no part. Uh, and when I came to Oxford, one thing that I did, did learn was applied mathematics and, and, uh, uh, and uh, I, my understanding in that direction was a great deal strengthened. Anyway, I got a first-class degree at, 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 at Oxford, and then I, and I'm not quite sure how this happened, but I then got the offer of a Rotary Foundation Fellowship um, from Aberdeen. I, 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 I'm not quite sure the interplay that went on there, but, um, and this was a, I, I could uh, go anywhere in the world on this, on this Foundation Fellowship to do research in, in only in mathematics, um, and where, no matter how far I went, the Rotary Foundation Fellowship would cover my expenses. So I went to Chondi and I said, well, where should I go? Um, and of course, the answer nowadays would be Harvard or Yale or something like that. But Chondi said, uh, Chondi uh, didn't, didn't follow the, the sort of usual rules. Chondi said, well, he said, if they're going to pay you to go wherever you go, you may as well go as far as possible. And the two furthest places you can go to are Australia or British Columbia. And I have a daughter in British Columbia, and so you better go to British Columbia. Uh, and so off I went to the University of British Columbia. And I had a marvelous year. Um, not that the University of British Columbia was outstanding in mathematics in those days. Uh, I don't think it was. But um, uh, of course, I, the, the, the Rotary Foundation Fellowship involved other things. Men traveling around, meeting Rotarians, giving talks about, not about mathematics, uh, and um, um, I, I made some. I made some very good contacts. In particular, a chap called Tommy Hull, whom we can come to later on, called Tommy Hull, who gave some excellent lectures on integral equations, and I became very friendly with him. He had a charming wife. They would ask me around for a meal and that sort of thing, and I remained kept kept in contact with him. Um, for, uh, for, for many, many years. Well, that takes us up to, uh, I, I, was in, I was with Chondi from 50 to 52, and then in British Columbia to 53. And by this time, at last, I had realized that I wanted to do research in mathematics. I mean, I'd got a taste for it. Uh, so I came back to, to the UK uh, to do research, but um, First of all, I had to do my national service because everyone had to do that in those days. And, and I, um, I got a post as a, an education officer 
in the Royal Air Force. That, and I taught for two years at the Royal Air Force Technical College in, 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 in Henlow in Bedfordshire. And this was, uh, well, this was uh, another so a revelation in a different direction. I remember the, uh, I was to lecture to them on, on, on elementary, on, on, on physics uh, and mechanics. Uh, and I went in to give my first lecture. And I started off by writing down Newton's equations of motion. And, and I didn't realize it, but as, I, as my lecture progressed, the, the, the eyes of this class just glazed over. These were, these were people, these were technical officers. They, 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 they knew very, really very little mathematics. And I was, uh, without realizing it, I was just pitching things far too high. Although I, not high as I thought it, but, um, and uh, I had to learn that uh, you, you had to tailor your teaching to the, to the uh, attainments and the abilities and so on of, of, of your audience. And that was a very good lesson to learn. And, and yet it was a good place to be, to be because it was a technical college. And so the, what I was teaching was, maybe in elementary terms, but I was teaching maths and physics. And, 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 and also, again, I made some useful contacts there. Um, one of the people that I got, m m many, of the, many of the people in the, on, the, on the faculty were people like myself, young uh, research students who were planning to go on to university work afterwards, and this was just a, an intermediary. And um, uh, in particular, there was a chap called Bias Brown, who was a theoretical chemist. We became very good friends and remained friends for many years afterwards. And, uh, he, uh, in, not actually at, at Henlow itself, but in some of our subsequent discussions, he introduced me to coagulation equations, something that I otherwise, um, otherwise in my research would never come up across, come, come up against. Um, but this is something that uh, I did almost casually, and that was because of, of, of these contacts with Bias Brown. So there were always, always little contacts that you didn't think were going to lead anywhere, but in, in, in the end did. And then you did become a research student. Yes. Now this took us up till 55, when I finished my national service. And then I, I decided to go back to, to, to Oxford to do research with Titchmarsh, who was the, I mean, I, my, 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 my leanings were towards analysis. Titchmarsh was the uh, civilian professor of, of analysis. And, um, well, uh, this again was another shock. Um, I, I remember the, the, the Mathematical Institute in those days was a very small affair. It stood at the corner of uh, Keeble Road and Parks Road. And uh, Titchmarsh, like the other professors, had a room on the first floor, and his room looked across the Parks Road to the Radcliffe Science Library. And, uh, uh, well, the first day I went to see him, uh, I went in and he was seated at his desk, and he was looking out of the window at the Radcliffe Science Library. And I said hello, and I guess he said hello. And there was another chair at the desk, so I sat down on that chair. And then I thought, well, now, Titchmarsh is going to tell me what to do, what, what research I would do. So I sat there for about 10 minutes. Titchmarsh didn't say anything. 
So I thought, well, maybe, maybe I should say something. So I said, had he any suggestions to what I might work on? So there's another few minutes of silence. And then finally he said, well, he said, I've just published a book. There must be something in that. And that was it. And another few minutes, and then I thought, well, I'd better leave. So I left. So I got hold of the book. The book was Eigen, Eigen Function Expansions, Volume 2. So I thought, well, I can't. I can't do anything about Eigenfunction Expansions Volume 2 until I understand Eigenfunction Expansions Volume 1. So I got all that as well. And of course, I hadn't done any real mathematics, obviously, in the RAF for two years or so. Rather slow reading getting into these books. And a week later, uh, I went back to Titchmarsh, and he was sitting looking out at the window, and I sat down beside him, and he didn't say anything. And finally, I said, well, I said, I've got your books and I've been reading them, but it's rather slow going. I only, can only get through about four or five pages a day. Oh, and he said, that's very good, that's very good. And that was it. So I got up and I left again. And uh, after another week, I, I thought I saw a problem. I, I thought I saw a problem. I could. So I went back to see Titchmarsh. And once again, he was sitting in his chair looking out of the window and I sat down beside him, and I said, Professor, I, I, I think I've got a problem. Uh, now, they, 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 these eigenfunct expansions, they deal with equations minus double y double prime plus q of x, y equals lambda y with boundary conditions, and you've got to talk about the eigenvalue parameter lambda, which can be a complex number. But always, uh, Marsh put on the condition that Q of x should be real. I thought, well, if lambda can be complex, why can't Q be complex too? Uh, there's a very good reason why it can't be, but I, th I just thought that was a reasonable question. So I, 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 I said to Titchmarsh, um, what happens if you make Q of x complex? And Titchmarsh uh, had a bit of a silence, and then he said, that's a very good question. Which I took it as being an invitation to, to, to start uh, investigating this. What he didn't tell me, I mean, he must, must, must have known it. What he didn't tell me is, of course, this changes the problem completely. It takes it away from being a self-adjoint operator with all sorts of nice properties that you can develop and so on into being a non-self-adjoint operator, of which the, the theory in those days was simply, simply didn't exist and um, still is not uh, completely worked out by any manner of means. Uh, and so I spent, I suppose, spent about ten and a half trying to discover what happened when you went Q of X complex. And I made some trivial progress, but it, 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 and I finally learned, of course, that this wasn't really a very good problem to start on. But I learned that not from Titchmarsh. Titchmarsh never, never mentioned self-adjoint or non-self-adjoint or anything like that. I learned it from some conversations with other, other students in the Institute. It was difficult, actually, to have <laughs> conversations with uh, students on, on, on my subject because I was Titchmarsh's only research student. He never had many research students, for perhaps fairly obvious reasons, but, uh, uh, and, um, and um, I was the only one at that time. Um, Another example of, of, of this, this was, 
I did write a paper with Titchmarsh, and this again illustrates Titchmarsh. The one, the, 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 the one every week he gave a seminar on a Friday. Friday at five was the analysis seminar. Uh, very frequently, I was the only member in the audience, but occasionally, Nori Everett came across. Nori Everett had just finished the Titchmarsh, uh, the term before I started. He was now at Shrivenham on the staff at Shrivenham, and he would come across quite, quite regularly for these seminars. Anyway, at the, towards the conclusion, how, how, how Titchmarsh ran these seminars is this. He, he always talked himself. There was no, no, no other speaker. He took the latest paper that he'd written and he simply worked through the paper on the blackboard. Uh, and one, 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 um, when he finished one, one afternoon, he said, now I've proved this result about distribution of eigenvalues or something for, for certain functions Q. I don't know what happens if you generalize Q in this way or that way. I thought, well, I think probably I can see how to do. So I went home and I thought about this overnight and I, I finally made some notes about how you could extend the results. And I, the next morning, I put these notes into Titchmarsh's pigeonhole. And uh, two days later, I went back and in my pigeonhole, there was a complete and perfectly written up paper, complete. Distribution of eigenvalues by McLeod and Titchmarsh. The whole thing, I mean, he'd taken my ideas and he'd broadened them out enormously and he'd, and, and, he, and he'd written this complete paper. The whole thing was finished. But there wasn't a word of discussion. We, we hadn't discussed the problem at all. Uh, and uh, so what I learned from Titchmarsh, and I learned a lot, but what I learned from Titchmarsh, I didn't learn from his lectures and certainly not from conversations but from his books and his papers. All the ideas were there. If you read these and so on, then you, you, you've, got, you've got all sorts of ideas for, 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 for progress and so on. Um, but uh, that's, where, that's where you found them. You didn't find them in personal contact. And I, I, I don't want to, I'm, I mean, I don't want to play him down. He was a, a very, very kindly man and, and of course, a magnificent mathematician. But... Uh, he was not a particularly communicable soul, you would say. Uh, well, there I was. This was 1955. I was with him uh, until 1958 when I got my PhD. And uh, at the end of the first year, the first year that I was with him, I, I had a, a Harmsworth Senior Scholarship that enabled me to live in Merton College, and that was very, very nice. But at the end of the first year, I got married, so I had to live out and... We had uh, rooms in, in, in the city. Uh, and uh, uh, Eunice and I, well, that was when our first child was born in the, in the years, f in, in 57. Um, and then in 1958, uh, I'd finished my PhD, and the question was, what happened next? And uh, there was a lectureship advertised at the University of Edinburgh. And this seemed to Eunice and I to be a marvel. I mean, we, we, we looked forward to the idea of going back to Scotland again and be nearer our families and so on. And uh, so in 1958, uh, we moved up to Edinburgh. 
We bought ourselves a nice house. We thought we would be here now for, well, not forever, but at any rate for a considerable number of years. Well, the year of the International Congress in Edinburgh. Th that's right. The International Congress was in 1958, and that's the year I, I, I made the move from, from Oxford to... Mm. Uh, and in fact, the, this house we bought, we bought when I was uh, attending the Congress. I used some of the hours of attending the Congress to go and uh, view houses in Edinburgh. Uh, yes, and, and Titchmarsh, Titchmarsh was there also. He was giving one of the talks at the International Congress. Um, so in, in, in 58, we, 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 we moved to Edinburgh and had two very pleasant years. Um, and then, well, then things are beginning to change in Oxford. When I was there as a, an undergraduate, and even when I was there as a graduate student, uh, the situation was that each college had at most one mass tutor. Uh, some colleges had no mass tutor at all. Um, but the number of undergraduates was beginning to increase, universities were opening up, there was more money for further education, so on. And uh, one or two people, and, 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 and particularly I must mention Jack Thompson at uh, Wadham College, one or two people saw that the existing situation where you had just one mass tutor for, ev for every college just couldn't last any longer. And in particular that you had to have a, a tutor in pure mathematics and a tutor in applied mathematics. And Wadham, he persuaded Wadham to be the first college to appoint two mathematicians. He was an applied mathematician himself, so he uh, felt that Wadham should have a pure mathematician. Um, and I had, I knew Jack because I had done teaching for him. I mean, Wadham farmed out teaching because they had too many students for the number of tutors. And I had done, I, as, as a graduate student, I had done teaching for Wadham and I suppose I must have impressed uh, Jack to some extent with my ability in that way. Anyway, uh, Bowra, who was the master of Wadham at that time, uh, Bowra wrote to me in Edinburgh and asked me if I would like to apply for this new Pure Maths Fellowship in, in Wadham. And Eunice and I agonized about this for a bit. We were settled in Edinburgh, we thought. But in the end, I decided that uh, Titchmarsh was in Oxford. Surely the sensible thing was to go back. And so in 1960, we moved back to, uh, moved back to, uh, to Oxford, now with two children, because our second child, Callum, uh, had been born at Edinburgh. And, um, well, uh, there we were for, uh, now for, hopefully, for a goodly number of years. Um, I had a, this fellowship in, in, in Wadham involved quite a lot of teaching. In those days, when I first went back, you had to do 14 hours a week of teaching for the college, and then a couple of hours of university lecturing on top. Um, but uh, it, it, uh, we, 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 were, we were very happy, and I certainly enjoyed my work, both the teaching and, and the research, which was uh, g g gaining a certain amount of momentum. And then the next, the next sort of development 
took place in, 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 in 1962. Um, there was the International Congress of Mathematics, this time in Stockholm. And so uh, we went, Eunice and I, and they, we packed the, the, cup, the two kids into the back of the car and we drove across Denmark and Sweden to Stockholm and we exchanged our house in, 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 in Abingdon uh, with uh, a house in Stockholm and we had a Valmers month there. But the, the interesting thing was that I met up again with Tommy Hull, whom I mentioned as, as somebody that I had known at UBC. And Tommy Hull uh, said, now he said, the University of Wisconsin has just opened up a new mathematics research centre and their interest is in, well, very much in applied analysis, your sort of interest. And the man in charge is a man called Langer, who was a very eminent uh, uh, man in, in the asymptotic analysis of differential equations and so on and eigenvalue parameters and so on. And, and he said, I'm sure that they would like to have you and, and that you would benefit from, from a year's sabbatical there. And I'm sure I can fix it, he said. <laughs> so I hadn't got, I wasn't, I was just back in, just got back to Oxford when comes this letter from Langer inviting me to spend a sabbatical year in in, in, in Wisconsin. Well, um, I couldn't, I mean, there, there were limits. I'd only come to, uh, to, to, to Oxford in 1960, as it were. Uh, I couldn't expect to get away in 1962, but <coughs> I finally persuaded the college to let me have, and they were very, very generous of them, to give me a year's sabbatical in 1964. And so, in 1964-65, we took off with the two kids to uh, to the University of Wisconsin, and oh, that was that 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 was an eye opener in all sorts of ways. I mean, here, uh, of course, in Oxford there was Titchmarsh, but here you were surrounded by applied analysts, people interested in differential equations, uh, and so on. Um, uh, so much going on, and not only at a mathematical level, but also at a social level, because the, the, the Langer had already, had in fact retired, uh, and uh, the, uh, um, the new director, um, uh, Bartle Rosser, uh, had a wife, uh, Anita, who, uh, Aneta, who was, oh, a marvelous uh, social uh, uh, organizer and involved Eunice and the family, and I mean, the, 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 the whole thing, the whole research center was a marvelous place to be. And we spent a, a, a great year there. And I made all sorts of contacts and met people that I hadn't met before. And at the end of that year, in 65, uh, I came back to Oxford uh, and settled back down and again to the job of being college tutor. Um, and uh, th 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 that, that, uh, the, the, the a couple of years, straightforward years, and then another development. Because in 1967, um, largely at the urgings, I think, of Norrie Everett, who was now professor in Dundee, and of Ian Snedden in Glasgow, and of uh, Erdelier, who was by this time the professor in Edinburgh, uh, the, the SERC was being uh, 
urged to do something about applied analysis and the differential equations. And so they organized this, in, this international meeting in Edinburgh um, for two weeks to get, try and get people in British mathematics who weren't interested in differential equations at this stage, but to try and get them interested in this. And uh, uh, the way it was organized, there were two to last for two weeks. The second week was to be lectures by three international stars. One was Coddington, who was to lecture on spectral theory, the sort of things that up until that time I had been mainly interested in, spectral theory of differential equations. The second was Trev, who was going to be lecturing on uh, generalized solutions. And the third was, it was Serin, who was to lecture on the Navier-Stokes equations. That was the second week. The first week um, was to be introductory lectures to those three given by British mathematicians. And I was asked to give the lectures, the introductory lectures to Coddington. And I think it was David Edmonds. I may be wrong about this. I think it was David Edmonds who gave the introductory lectures for Treb, and Edward Frankel who gave the introductory lectures for Seren. Anyway, it was an inspiring uh, two weeks, but what inspired me most wasn't so much my own area, but the, the, the nonlinear problems that Seren was talking about, the Navier-Stokes equation, bounded linear equations, things like that. And in particular, in one of his lectures, he produced a number of similarity solutions. That is to say, you, you, you take a PDE like the Navier-Stokes and you look for solutions which are actually solutions of ODEs, similarity solutions, and they're very often indications. I mean, they're simpler solutions than the general solutions, but they're very often indications of what general solutions are going to do so if you really understand the similarity solutions, you're a long way along there. Anyway, Serin wrote up on the board five of these equations. And he said he'd, he'd no idea of how, the, how, these, how these equations could be solved or what you could do with them. And I, I looked at them. Some of them were more complicated than others, but the first two were just single ordinary differential equations. And I thought, it can't be all that difficult to say something about these so I went back to my room and I thought a little bit and I finally decided that I could solve, I mean, or, or say useful things about these two equations. And I took this to Seren the next morning and Seren was delighted. And that, 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 that opened another huge uh, can of, of, of worms, if you like, uh, because it not only led to collaboration with Seren, uh, but it also, and perhaps more importantly, led to a long, long-standing friendship. Um, Seren was at that time um, visiting, under the auspices of the SERC, visiting at Sussex, University of Sussex. And uh, so I had him come across to Oxford, give us some lectures, uh, and he brought his wife Barbara, and Eunice uh, and Barbara um, uh, got on uh, uh, like wildfire, like wildfire, and 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 the, the two families have remained uh, uh, close friends. Well, uh, did remain close friends until Jim's death only just a year ago, 
And that was a tremendous, uh, a tremendous uh, advance. And then you, uh, then you started uh, visiting Wisconsin regularly. Right. Well, now what? Well, I should have mentioned in one, one of the more notable things that happened during my year in Wisconsin in 1964. Uh, apart from any mathematics, is that we we had twins, and our two twins, uh, Patrick and, and and Bridget, were born in Wisconsin, and became American citizens and so on. Uh, so by, by this time we now had four 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 children, um, and um, well, yes, the the contacts with Wisconsin were strong, and they were strengthened. Well, I think. If I take things chronologically, the next thing that happened was that I th the SERC was now being very generous. If I wanted to have people to Oxford, uh, notable American mathematicians and so on, then I could do that. And I think it was in about 69 that I invited Cato to come to Oxford. Now, Cato was mainly at that time I would have said a linear mathematician. I mean, I invited him because he was interested in spectral theory and things like that. Uh, and um, he came, and uh, just before he came, he came uh, there was um, the, 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 the applied mathematicians in Oxford. I had a little, little difficulties with them because they weren't much interested in proving things, and I did want to prove things, but they were very active. And they had had a, um, they had had a, a workshop uh, on on uh, applications of, of 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 mathematics, particularly to industrial problems. Uh, and uh, in one problem that had that came up was the problem of the now what's the name of the what you put on top of a of an electric car to touch the rails up above. Yes, uh, the not a cantilever, <laughs> not a cantilever, but a pant uh, uh, the pen pantograph, the pan pantograph. pantograph. Yes, uh, and, and they had a problem which had come up from uh, British Rail, I guess, uh, about this pantograph. And it involved a non uh, sort of uh, kind of uh, uh, difference delay equation, exactly. And they, they, uh, they wanted me to try and say what the solutions of this equation looked like. And it was, it was uh, nothing I'd ever worked on before, but it sounded interesting. And I took it away, took it away, and thought about it. And just at that time, Cato arrived. And so I mentioned it to Cato, and so we worked on that together. Uh, and that again was a, uh, uh, a very successful collaboration. And uh, we hadn't quite finished it when he went back to California. And I finally worked out how the last bit could be done, and I, I sent it to Cato. Uh, so the paper could be written up and published. And uh, I, one of my proudest moments was when I got a letter back from Cato. I mean, Cato was a, a giant in, in mathematics. I got a letter back from him saying, uh, Dear Bryce, thank you very much for your, for your letter. How on earth did you think of that? And I, I, I mean, I, uh, I was immensely proud that Cato should think that I'd thought of something that was not entirely obvious, so to speak. Anyway, in this way, my contacts with, with America increased. And then in 1970, 1970, I had my second sabbatical. 
And I went back, of course, to Wisconsin with the family. And we were greeted like long-lost friends by all, and Annetta Rosser and all that. And once again, we slotted in like, like uh, so, so easily. Uh, and um, the, um, uh, I, I made more contacts. Now, now going more into the nonlinear directions. I mean, now I know that uh, um, now that uh, Seren had opened my eyes to the possibilities in nonlinear mathematics. More of my work was becoming nonlinear, uh, and I was going, uh, and I met met people who like Paul Fife and. Um, 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 Avner Friedman, who were nonlinear mathematicians, uh, I made contacts with these people, and then, well, that lasted for a year. Came back to Oxford in, I guess, seventy-two, and things began to ease in Oxford a little bit because uh, I was given a university lectureship, and this meant that I could cut my college teaching almost in half at the cost of doing a little more lecturing, but not, 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 not a great deal. And this gave me more time for research. And, and I was able to have people like, in the, in the, in the, in the 70s, have people like, like uh, Paul Fife and, and uh, Avner. Uh, the SERC would fund visits by these people. And uh, I, I was able to collaborate with them in, in Oxford during the during the year, and then in the delightfully long uh, sabbatical, um, long um, uh, the uh, vacations. The, the, yes, vacations. In the delightfully long vacations that Oxford gave me, I could I could go back to the states, and where I went very often was to Wisconsin. But they were they 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 said they they invited me. They said they would like me to come regularly every summer, and throughout. Much of the, the 70s then, uh, I would spend my summers in Wisconsin. And as this became a regular feature, I thought, well, I don't want to go renting a new apartment every time I go. Why don't I, uh, why don't I buy myself a motor caravan? Because, of course, motor caravans in, 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 in America in those days were, uh, were luxurious things. I mean, they're more luxurious here now too, but they were very luxurious. And uh, you could uh, live in one of these, a single person live in one of these in great luxury. And then, of course, the family came out too. I mean, once, as soon as the schools were out, the family would come across as well. And we all got into the motor caravan and we would go off for a tour of the States out to the West or down to the South or wherever it might be, uh, doing, doing mathematics, doing mathematics en route. I, we went to the Grand Canyon one year, I remember, and of course, Paul Fife was down there in Arizona, and so able to. Uh, so it was, a, it was a it was a blissful combination of of um, of uh, uh, vacation and 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 mathematics. And uh, this went on um, through the more or less through the seventies. Uh, I think until. Uh, Yes, I think until almost the end of the seventies, and then, and then um, uh, the next sabbatical I took, which was been been seventy nine or seventy eight, something like that. I spent didn't spend that actually in Wisconsin. Uh, I spent that in 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 Minnesota with Jim Seren, and uh, 
and my contact, my general contacts were widening. Um, one person whom I, in, in, that, in that particular year, whom I, I had met him before. Um, indeed, I, he he'd visited Oxford. But in that particular year, we collaborated um, in, um, in a paper on uh, Panlevy II, the second Panlevy transcendence, and this was Stuart Hastings, um, who, um, who had been a student of Levinson, another of the great men in the early days of uh, spectral theory and differential equations on. He'd been a student of Levinson's. And we collaborated on this paper, and uh, once again, uh, it wasn't, uh, I mean, it was a, a nice mathematical collaboration, but the other thing, and the more, perhaps the more important thing, was that uh, we became very friendly. They, uh, he wasn't actually, I was in Minnesota, he wasn't actually, I don't think he was actually doing his sabbatical in Minnesota, but he came up to Minnesota for a couple of weeks, stayed with us, and, and once again, Eunice and, and uh, um, uh, Stuart uh, and Eileen, Stuart's wife, uh, Eunice and Eileen struck it off very well, and we and we remained and became even closer friends with them later on. But that was the start of that friendship. So that took me through to the end of the seventies, and well. I don't know. I, uh, of course, I, uh, on all of these visits, I get would get offers to go and permanently to an American university, uh, Kentucky or SUNY in Buffalo, and so on. Um, all of which I, uh, well, I took seriously, but in the end decided against. Uh, largely, not entirely. I mean, I, I largely because the children were still in school. And I didn't, and, and, and at, at a reasonably critical period in the schooling, and I didn't want to disrupt them from British schools and taking to American schools. And, and partly because I, I, I was very happy in Oxford. Uh, I mean, I, I wasn't getting much support from the university. Uh, the, 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 the faculty board in mathematics, I think it has to be said that it just wasn't interested in applied analysis. Uh, and uh, I was plowing something of a lone furrow. Uh, but, on the other hand, the SERC were very supportive. I could have visitors when I wanted them. Every summer I could go to the States and recharge my batteries. And I enjoyed other aspects. I mean, I enjoyed my teaching in Oxford. I enjoyed the life in Wadham and so on. And uh, so, uh, I, I wasn't unhappy. Uh, but, um, there was always the feeling that Oxford wasn't really supporting this subject as it should. And, well, I, I think the critical, the critical thing came, well, everything came together about 1986, I think. Uh, I, again, I had had another sabbatical, and I had spent part of it um, at, uh, I spent part of it with Abner Friedman, but part of it at the University of Pittsburgh. Um, where, where, where um, I had various contacts and where I had been invited. Uh, and just before going off on this sabbatical, there'd been a, 
college meeting in Wadham, at which we were discussing future plans for the college and 10-year plan, as it were. And uh, then someone, someone said, well, now, what about mathematics? Because when MacLeod retires, we'll have to... And I thought to myself, MacLeod retires? And I realized that I only had about six years more to go. And I did not feel like retiring. And I realized, well, I'd known for some time, I suppose, but I realized that if I went to the States, there was no retirement age, and I could go on for as long as I wanted. So here all sorts of things came together. The children finished it, were finishing at school. I had this, I got a very nice offer from the University of Pittsburgh of a research professorship. Uh, I was going to have to leave Oxford quite soon anyway, whether, whether I liked it or not. I could go to, to, to America and, and work on. I, Pittsburgh, uh, I knew people in the, there were two universities. The University of Pittsburgh, I knew several people in the faculty there. And then there was Carnegie Mellon, which again was a hive of activity and differential equations and that sort of thing. And everything seemed to come together and decided this was the time to go. And so uh, we moved to the University of Pittsburgh. And I, uh, I must say, I, 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 I never regretted it. We, we regretted had 20 it. glorious years. Hmm? We regretted it. That you left. Nice of you to say that. Uh, uh, but uh, I had 20 glorious years in Pittsburgh. And, and uh, I, I did not want to and, and didn't lose my contacts in this country. I mean, I, there were many people in this country, of course, with whom I wanted to keep contact. And, and, uh, and I, uh, now what happened was that I would spend eight months a year in Pittsburgh and then four months back on this side of the Atlantic. And I tried, and we didn't sell our house, we kept our house in Abingdon, and I tried as much as possible to keep my contacts alive on this side too. Uh, yes. And uh, so that, was, that takes you up to sort of the end of the 80s. So well, I was, was going to say, so, so in the, uh, was it 1992 you were elected to a fellow of the Royal Society? So we, we all thought that this was a wonderful thing and that uh, the, far too late, but, uh, yeah. uh, but it was a great recognition for not just your work, but what you'd done for British mathematics. I mean, when I was a research student, you were really one of the very few uh, major figures, and uh, it, was, it was quite a small subject nationally. So yes, it was, yes. Do you see yes. changes now? Because, because the last few years you've been back oh, in Oxford. Oh, oh yes, yeah. oh yes, oh yes. I mean, applied analysis of differential equations is no longer a poor relationship. Well, just look at, look at your unit, uh, the Oxford PDE. I mean, that shows that, shows that could never have existed. It never existed in, 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 in the Oxford that I, that I knew. Yes, um, and um, differential equations and applied analysis has blossomed, certainly, certainly. Um, and uh, uh, yes, I don't think I don't think I have any fears for the future of the subject in this in this country. No, no, not at all. So you, you've got a very interesting style of mathematics, or sort of. The among uh, non-linear analysts, that you're very, very problem-oriented, that, you, that you're, you're not somebody who 
seems to be very interested in big theories or something. You're always interested in specific problems, very different ones from lots of different areas. So how do you see... Uh, that's true. That? Well, I guess that's just the way my mind works. I, 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 never, I could never get very interested in general theories. I mean, a, a, a big class of differential equations uh, about which, you can, of course, you can say things, but... Um, Somehow you, you can't get into the, the details because the, the subject's too general. And always, always what appealed to me was a particular, perhaps a particular equation where I thought I could say things, which weren't obvious and, and so on, but where I thought I could say things which would be interesting. I mean, and, and, and I'd, I'd, why was I attracted to particular problems? Well, just because some quirky quirky thing about the main perhaps the best example is the is is Panlevy, the Panlevy equations now these are ordinary differential equations they are second order uh, nonlinear ordinary differential equations and there doesn't seem to be anything very special about them but i was introduced to Panlevy 2 about 1978 by by Stuart Hastings and Stuart Hastings uh, well I mean, if I, if I sponsored a method for dealing with nonlinear differential equations, it was the shooting method. Uh, you, had, you wanted to solve a differential equation with boundary conditions at two ends. Uh, you had, uh, if you'd had all the conditions at one end, you'd have known exactly what the solution was. But because they were at two ends, you couldn't do that. And so what you had to do was you had to introduce a, an extra condition at, at, the, at, at one end, so that you could specify the equation in terms of this extra constant, this extra condition, and then work with that and, and, and argue that you could choose this extra constant so as to do the right thing at the other end. That's the essence of a shooting method. Uh, and, and when you've just got one constant to play with, it's pretty straightforward on the whole. One of the nice things that Seren and I did, uh, and this goes back to these lectures in 1967, we looked at places where you shot with more than one parameter. And this makes the topology of the situation rather more complicated. And, uh, and, and what we were able to do was to develop a routine for dealing with uh, at least two coupled equations. So you had two parameters and so on. However, to go back to the Panlevy 2, um, what uh, Stuart, when Stuart first introduced it to me, it seemed to be a simple shooting shooting problem, which we solved. You wanted, you had a certain behavior at one end and you wanted a behavior at the other end. Uh, but the strange thing was that the behavior at the other end involved a constant, and this constant was one. And there was absolutely no reason why this constant should be one. I mean, they, 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 it suggested that there was some particular solution or something. That, that produced this constant, but there was nothing. It was just that this constant was one. And it was discovered that it was one on, on, uh, by numerical methods, not by analysis. And I was just intrigued. Why was this constant one? Could I prove that it was one? And, and eventually I could. And, and, and that's the sort of thing, that's the sort of problem that, that these are the sort of problems that, I inst that interested me. Uh, again, uh, uh, with Paul Fife on working on uh, convergence to 
working on, on nonlinear diffusion. Uh, again, I wasn't uh, the, the, the uh, I wasn't interested very much in general solutions of nonlinear diffusion, but similarity solutions again, because from these similarity solutions you could tell they were simpler solutions, but you could tell a great deal about more general solutions. And and uh, Paul Five, and I worked on this. Uh, starting, I think, with one of his visits to Oxford. That's where it began. And we are eventually able to prove that, uh, prove that general solutions do converge to these similarity solutions. But it, 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 it's a question of looking at the similarity solutions rather than the more general thing. Yes, I don't know why. I mean, I, 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 many people would say that it's a weakness. What, I mean, what's the point of looking at particular problems? Look at the general ones. These are the, that's what covers the, the whole scope. But somehow I've just, my mind, my mind just doesn't work that way. So I've, I've always been very happy uh, immersing myself in, uh, in special problems, yes. So over the last few years, we've been delighted to have you as a member of the Oxford Centre for Nonlinear PDE. Yes. And you've been very active and, and, and you, in fact, wrote a book with... Uh, yes, the, the, for the last uh, two or three years, I, a good deal of my time has been taking up writing a book with, with, with Stuart Hastings uh, on... Well, on, I mean, it's again, I think it mirrors very much what I've just been saying. Looking at a number of, I mean, there are a number of uh, problems, special problems, hopefully, well, I, I think important problems, but special problems, and the techniques that you can bring to bear on these problems. Of course, you hope, and it's true, that these techniques can be broadened and used for more general things, but our primary interest would be to use them to solve the problem we've been, we've been given, and once that's done, then, then, then very often I want to go off and try something different, uh, leave, leave generalizations to other people. So finally, Bryce, um, uh, if, if a young person was considering uh, spending their career in mathematical research, would you, what would you say to them? Well, I would say above all, have fun. Mathematics is fun. Uh, I mean, whether it's delving into the mathematics itself or talking to other mathematicians about it, it's fun. And, and, and if you can't have fun doing it, then probably you shouldn't do it. Uh, and, and, and that, in, in, in my, coming back to your previous question, in my experience, that fun comes from not getting hold of one problem and spending your life digging deeper and deeper and deeper into that problem. It lies in keeping your mind open to what other people are doing, to problems other people are having, uh, and, uh, and, and, and conversing with them and, and working with them and, and, uh, and developing new ideas with them. Um, I mean, I have, I have to say that I've had a marvelous life. I would never have wanted to do anything else. It's so marvelous that I've been able to uh, spend my life doing something that I've loved doing and getting paid for it. It's, it's, it's almost incredible. Well, thank you very much for sharing these memories and experience with us.